Hey, are you interested in herbs? Are you looking for more natural tools to aid in your self-care? Have you always been curious about the so-called alternative or complementary health practices out there? You have come to the right place. My name is Lori. Some people call me the Herb Chick. And this is the Holistic Badass Podcast, where we discuss all the things available in the alternative or complementary or natural toolbox that may help you along your way in this life. So buckle up, sit back, and let's listen to what's up today. Also, remember... Listeners like you are what makes podcasts happen. So be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and follow me on all the social media channels you care to. Let's go, holistic badasses. Hey there, Holistic Badasses. Today, I'm going to go a little out there, and I want to talk about belly dance. Why belly dance? Well, it's something that I do, and a lot of times, people will ask me, belly dance and herbs, how does that go together? They do. I promise you, they really do. And it is a large part of my journey when I first started getting involved in being more holistic. It is one of the many tools in my toolbox that I use to help take care of myself. Now, I perform and and all of that jazz as well, but that isn't necessary for all of you or any of you or anyone who's interested, but I just thought I would have one of my friends, a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine. Her name is Athena and she's based out of Columbus, Ohio. I wanted to have her on to talk about her experiences with belly dance and how we both view belly dance in some ways the same, in some ways different, but we both view it as yet another tool in a holistic toolbox in this great big plethora of modalities to help take care of ourselves both mentally, physically, and spiritually. So without further ado, here's the conversation that I had with Athena. The information presented in this podcast is for informational and self-education use only. It is not intended for self-diagnosis nor treatment nor anything that constitutes the practice of medicine. Please consult with a qualified physician concerning the prudence of and before undertaking any major changes in diet, any treatments for disease, any use of drugs or prescription items or the cessation thereof. Hey there, 
there, holistic badasses. Today, I have a treat for you. We are going to talk about some holistic movement therapy. And as my guest today, I have Athena of Columbus. And among other things, we're going to focus on talking about belly dance, what's commonly known as belly dance in the United States, and how that relates back as a holistic therapy that could aid us. Thank you for coming on tonight, Athena. Hello, hello, hello. I'm glad to be here. So let's just start with how long have you been belly dancing? Okay, so so the first time I saw a belly dancer and I tried, I was eight years old in Dearborn, Michigan, which is my hometown. There's an annual event called the um, Arabic Festival. Um, and I saw a belly dancer. She got up on a drum. I thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world. So I tried to get up on a drum like my child child-sized doomback. And I crashed the doom back in my parents' basement, which I've never told my mother that's what happened to it. So it'll be fun when she listens to this. Um, <laughs> then my friend Amuna and I tried to do belly dance to Jeannie in a bottle, and her parents got very offended that these eight-year-olds were trying to belly dance. So that was, um, so that's a couple years break. And then my mom, at I think in 2005, started to take dance classes in Columbus, where I still live, and. She asked if I wanted to come, and I was like, totally. And so years later, you know, my mom's retired from dance, but I'm still doing it a lot. <laughs> yeah, and thank goodness you are. She's been doing this since little, little, little. Yeah, I was a child when I started. See? Awesome. And so in some cultures people would be very offended by that. So what is your viewpoint on kids taking up belly dance? So I think it depends on, one, there are a lot of cultural things because we have to never forget that belly dance does have a lot of sex work included in it. And so people can feel uncomfortable. In Dearborn, where I'm from, they thought it was cute that a kid would try. and But if a dancer was, a kid was to ever try to say, make a living at it, it would be a questionable thing, of course. In my classes, I say people need to be 15 years and up because that's when I got to start in classes and that felt important to me. Um, but in classes where I do allow people who are under 18, the conversations are different because there's children in the room. Um, so my references are going to be different, my language, the choices and songs I might do. Because I like to, when I'm teaching, I'll say, hey, this song's about this or this song's about that. I'm not going to choose a song that's maybe a little bit more blue as we'd say, because sometimes I like to tell people like, oh, this is a very political song or this song. They're kind of talking about, you know, the horizontal cha-cha, as they say. Um, and that just has some really big conversations because, you know, they're still kids. But and then my, I felt and it was really interesting because at 15, I was very, very svelte and I'm less svelte now due to, you know, age. And I didn't want to wear the two-piece costumes. I didn't want to, but that was the standard in my troop, so I ended up doing it, but I considered covering my belly because that felt uncomfortable to me as a child. So as a teacher, that was a really important thing for me to think through of how do my younger students want to feel comfortable presenting themselves because being half-dressed might feel icky for them. So it's always a negotiation and obviously having parents involved. And with everything going on in Ohio legislatively, we'll have to be even more careful because there's a couple of couple things coming through that could affect belly dance legally. 
which is not the nature of the conversation today. This is not a politics podcast, but. Right. But it's still stuff that we should all be abreast of because. For those listeners who don't know, belly dance is something that I've been involved in for the last, oh, I don't know, 20-ish years. And um, it's while there are some aspects of it that can be associated with, you know, a little more off-color or risque things, if people really knew the details behind ballet, yeah. Um, I think they would be a little horrified about that as well. I think people forget that art is often done by people who, you know, rich people don't want their children per- in- engaging in art. So it's often done by poorer people who often have to do things that you wouldn't, that you have to do to survive, you know? And that's something to just keep in mind as we approach the dance. And that's exactly. kind of And it's not, you know, I did ballet. Um, I switched from belly dance to ballet, from, uh, sorry, restart that. I switched to belly dance from ballet because I knew I could age in this career versus uh, ballet where I would have aged out by now. Right. You know, you can't jump as high after, you know, an obscene. So, practical decisions. Just a minute. My new dog is being a poop. No. Oh, no. Stop. So his his name is Scout, but he didn't answer to it. So I was playing around just trying names out. And believe it or not, he answered to Millard Fillmore. That's a very cute dog name, though. I like dogs with human names. Yes. So he really, really likes the name Millard. And yeah, he and he is... Having a fit about something, but we'll try to ignore him in the background. He's a Chihuahua something. I don't know. Chihuahua Papillon Chihuahua something. He's small. Yes. Much smaller than my usual Poochies. But yes. But okay. So we know that you started when you were a lot younger. um, And I did not know that your hometown was Dearborn. I get the good food. Well, yeah, and for those people who may not be familiar, why is that culturally significant? Well, so Dearborn has the highest Middle Eastern population outside the Middle East, so specifically Lebanese folks. So it's kind of this hub that you don't expect. And there's a lot of complicated historical reasons which are not as much fun. Just know that if you ever want like the best shawarma of your life or you want good coffee or the right baklava or a party till six o'clock in the morning, you're going to go to Dearborn. Yeah. Excellent pharma. Oh my gosh. We could go right now, honestly. I'm starving. <laughs> I would be okay with that. Just get in the car. It's three hours straight north from my place. Um, so you started belly dancing at 15. How long until you were performing? So I think my first show was like a year and a half in. And then my first gig, we waited till I was 18. Um, that was an important thing for my mom is that she didn't want me to be working like a hookah bar when I legally couldn't enter a hookah bar. But so I did a lot of festivals and like, you know, like county fairs and just that type of stuff or student showcases. And then I started gigging at 18 and then I never stopped. So that was 
17 or 18 years ago, I think. I'm 33 now, and I'm not good at math. (laughs) I don't like to think about math. So it's not that I'm not good. I just don't like to think about it. Yeah. It's just a while. Um, So I don't know. I'm sure other people have heard this, but when I started dancing, um, when I was in high school, I had a car accident, and I had a lot of soft tissue injuries um, that went along with a broken pelvis and dislocated shoulders and a couple cracked ribs and a lot of whiplash. And then there were some other car injuries and such that went along with it. So by the time I had my second son, which was just shy of, well, 25 years ago, because he just turned 25 this year, um, I was having a lot of mobility type issues where my muscles were seizing up. And my chiropractor at the time was like, that's it. You need to move it or you're going to lose it. And he literally sent me out of his office with this sheet of paper that was just filled with all kinds of exercises. Had zero explanation with him. He was just like, any of these will work. Do one, do none, do some, do all. I don't care. You just need to move more or you're going to be seized up in a corner. Hmm. So belly dance was on it. And prior to that, my only real belly dance exposure was with my sixth grade English teacher who um, he had gone to Turkey and um, he had bright red hair. He was Irish and he had a beard that he would dye that didn't quite match the color of his hair. It was a long story. It was quite the character. But one day he put on some Turkish belly dance music with a lot of mizmar. And he tied his shirt up to uh, expose his midriff and he belly danced for the class. That is incredible. It was kind of horrifying you know, <laughs> to, to like a 10, 11 year old kid. We were all like, OMG. What was that? But it's happening, right? And then as an adult, I had a brother who lived in Jerusalem of his own will. It was his own decision. And my his first wife was uh, Yemeni, and she grew up in Tel Aviv. And you know, so these were things that I was kind of exposed to, and I thought, oh. I like baklava and stuffed grape leaves and um, I like goat. So I should probably just belly dance. That's a very logical decision. It's surprising yeah. how much of our life is really just around the, the party component. You know, like there's food, there's attention. I'm good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I think I can handle this. And, and the music always interested me, you know, with the, the different uh, chromatic scales. So that's why I started was to get that benefit from the movement. And now that you're in your 30s, would you say that, you know, kind of growing up with that type of muscle movement, does that benefit you in any way? It's hard for me to know that for sure, because it's, it's impossible to compare. Now, I think as a child, to be in puberty in a studio surrounded by all these different kinds of bodies was really, I think, the thing that was pretty instrumental. 
I am not, you know, every person has insecurities as you exist in the world. Of course, you know, it's very profitable to make women uncomfortable, but that fact that my formative years, I was around all different kinds of bodies, all different ages of bodies, all engaging at the same time. And also that there was a big push that you needed more experience. You needed to age to really understand a lot of the stuff and the music and that there was so much to research. That was pretty instrumental in my dancing um, and just in the way that I viewed myself throughout all that. I think I now I'm uh, probably overconfident, but that's my gift to the world, truly. Um, <laughs> from a physicality perspective, I think belly dance can be, I think it's a little more complicated than that. And I always say it's complicated, which is everyone's favorite phrase to hear from me. But I think we've entered a style that has a lot more ballroom and a lot more ballet influences. So to stay on the very cutting edge of what is stylistically the cool stuff people see on Instagram will destroy your body. Um, you know, the intense hair flips, the people jumping into the air, going to the splits on the ground, intense Turkish drops, that stuff will hurt your body. But that is what most of us are seeing. And we don't get to see the like softer dance and the softer stuff that really is good at keeping those nice strong knees and you know supple spines just all of that type of stuff so that's pretty important to my dance that i'm not trying to throw a hamstring out for you know seven people at a sad birthday party so it informs my dance a lot in that but it's impossible to compare because you know i didn't have a lifetime where i didn't dance right i can see that i know um it well okay let's start off with this and then i can compare a little better how do people react when they find out that you belly dance because you have a nine to fiver you have a job that is not related to belly dance so how do people in like in irl respond if they happen to find out what you do on the side um, well, I don't really, I used to be a lot more open about my hobby, but now, especially with my Instagram being as like big as it is, I kind of get worried because I worry about people thinking a certain kind of way. Um, mm -hmm. people now if people meet me and I'm eating, drinking coffee and I'm going through there, you know, just being a regular human being and not at my day job, we'll have a conversation and I will go into some long, complicated thing about the exact style of dance that I do and the exact history and the da 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 and then they get super bored and they don't ask me any more questions because I'm an absolute nerd about belly dance. I'm very okay so <laughs> what is the exact style that you do? So if we look at American Cabaret which is the style that was a diaspora dance when we if we go back to the 1800s we have an example of Little Egypt who's performing at the World Fair she was, to my perspective, probably like a victim of human trafficking because we don't know her probably. name, we don't know any details, any of this stuff. Um, but she began this, you know, she came there, she did what, what looks like probably not even Egyptian dance. Like most people are thinking that it's maybe like Tunisian or Moroccan even, not even Egyptian, but the name's her Little Egypt. And so then mm -hmm. it became an incredibly popular thing that was happening in cabarets and vaudeville. And we see this Orientalist movement throughout the 1920s. So there was already kind of a, an iterative version of pharaonic style dance, is what I would call it, throughout the United States. Then we have World War II come, and there's a diaspora of, dance, of 
people that are leaving their countries and coming to the United States. That's happening throughout the 1960s. And we have people that aren't necessarily all of the same ethnic group. It's not all Egyptians. It's not all Turks. It's not all one particular group of people. And they're creating dance. So it is what I do is what I consider uniquely American because it only exists in the United States, this style of dance, because it has that more diaspora influences, more um, using Hollywood influences of the veil, which was not part of traditional uh, Egyptian dance. It's going to be pulling maybe Greek and Turkish influences along with Persian. So it's a lot more um, kind of melting pot versus that. So it also changes because it's so influenced by immigrants. Where you are in the United States will change the way that this style of dance is performed. So for example, in Columbus, where I live, it has a big Greek community. And so there was a lot of stuff that was coming from the Greek and Lebanese community here. So the dancing is more in line with what they saw in the 80s, what people were bringing over and the folk dance that comes from there versus like Cleveland, which has a bigger Egyptian community. So they're going to have more Egyptian influences coming in. So as you track immigrants, you can also track your style. So this yeah. is what I say, very nerdy stuff. So we're looking at this really that. So, and it's part of the way that probably I feel around why do I not think it might like the kind of cultural appropriation conversation that always comes through? Because if we look at this style of dance, it doesn't exist in another country. It is only our country. So mm -hmm. complicated. It's my favorite phrase to say. I feel complicated about this. It always means seven minutes of talking. <laughs> well, yeah, every once in a while, I will get the cultural appropriation argument. And I am not i have none of that in my actual physical heritage um but then again you know i do not have your typical north western german appearance there is no blonde hair blue eyes going on on this body so i usually people will ask me every once in a while what my heritage is and I just tell them that I'm a Turkish Viking. Yeah. I mean, and that's just a lot of people just want to know, like, where you're at. Would we know any family right. members that are similar? Lori, you struck me that you had a blonde era at some point in your life, though. I did. I did. And it was because I fell asleep with the color lifter in my hair. And <laughs> I fell asleep with the color lifter in my hair and it turned blonde. So I left it there for a while. Um, and I have a sister who is blonde and my mother kept calling me her name. So, yeah. So I got called Sandy a lot for about a year and I thought, okay, I've had enough of that now. It can go away. <laughs> but yeah. Everyone needs to have at least one blonde era, right? Right. Exactly. And occasionally, you know, it depends if I fall asleep when I have the color in on what era the hair is going to have this month. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like a box of chocolates. We all get surprised together. So as you navigate through that cultural appropriation conversation, what does that look like for you then? I usually tell them that I do not present myself as being from a Middle Eastern culture. Um, I tell them that I have the utmost respect 
for anyone from those cultures and those areas geographically. However, that what I am doing is not a dance that comes from their area specifically, but may have bits and pieces borrowed from dances that they do. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like um, when people talk about jazz and tap and their origins and their type of thing, like you have to know where those building blocks came from. But yet if I would go to North Africa right now, I am not going to see what we do as belly dance being done there. Nope. And, and if I do, it's going to be in a bar or a hookah lounge or some sort of environment where Western people go. Yeah. It, it's not going to be where the locals hang. It's like Greeks have like what, what we call Siftatelli and it's like a line dance and that's more what you're going to see. And while they right. have belly dancers in the touristic areas and there is like a bouzouki like belly dance and there is Greek and Hellenic belly dance, but it is, it's probably actually more in line, but it still has its own unique cultural flair that is its own thing to study. Yes. And that like you could, you could study Debki for years which is you know the line dancing and depending on whether you're from jordan or you're from um lebanon or you're from or you're palestinian or where you are from your dub key is going to be different yeah it can be different country to country person to person family to family and i'm not good at dub key i tried like two weeks ago and i made such an embarrassment of myself I do respect, though, I have to say, and this is kind of off topic, but, you know, I like that you just go by your actual name, because I do, too. It's interesting right. to me to see how many dancers sort of take a Arabicized name to, to go forward, I'll say. Well, back in the day, I sat there, and my original teacher was like, you have to come up with a name, you have to come up with a name. And, and I literally, like, and she passed out this list, you know, and I'm looking at it, and my my actual first name was on the list, and I thought, well, this is kind of silly. I'm mm. going to pick some name that's not my name, and then somebody's going to be talking to me, and I'm not going to know who they're talking to, and I'm not going to answer them. I was like, I might use a different last name so weirdos and creepos can't find me so easy, um, but... I'm not going to use a different first name because literally that's not who I am. Yeah. And, and that was when I was when at that point where they wanted us to pick a stage name, that was the reasoning behind it that I was told that, look, this is not um, trying to pretend that you are something you're not, but it is so that more of a, a protection type of thing, like a pen name or um, actors yeah. and actresses that have stage names. They're like, that's why you do it. So weirdos don't follow you home. Yeah. And no, then after that, where they can follow you anywhere, you know. Well, yeah. Welcome to the dawn of the interwebs. And they all know where I'm at anyway. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so when you have people come to your classes have you noticed that you get them, uh, do you get students who have a wide variety of, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this, 
a wide variety of flexibility and physical abilities. Oh, yeah. Like, so my troupe has, um, you know, every age of dancer, like dancers who are, and we also have every just existence. Like, I have some dancers in one of my classes who's chair-bound, and so that has, it, you know, and they have EBS, so it's, like, more flexible in some cases, so you have to be careful in that, versus one of my students is, you know, a grandma, and she, you know, has the flexibility that she has at this point in her life. And so we have a really unique set. And so my classroom's way that we approach it is that I preemptively offer accommodations. I don't make people have to ask it ahead of time. I'm going to say, okay, if you can turn your head, turn your head. But if not, you know, turn your body or turn your wheels or turn this or turn that. Um, which is really interesting for me as a choreographer because it gives you a whole different um, language that you start to use with your students and they start to feel more safe with you to say, oh yeah, well, I told Athena I can't spin and so she changed it. So now I know if I have another problem or, um, you know, depending on where you are kind of in your menstrual cycle, it will adjust your balance and people with um, neuro, like ADHD often has some issues in how much you can turn because you have different like space understandings. Mm -hmm. We definitely have a whole wide range of people and it makes it more fun because if you think about my ideal dance situation is just partying and sweating with people at their house because that's my favorite kind of gig. It's the one that you worry you're going to die at too, but then it's always fun, you know? Right. 50-50, a little mixy-matchy. Um, that's also going to have all different ages of dancers and all different abilities of dancers too. So Right. Well, and I think um, anybody who is from outside the belly dance world, they don't, or, or maybe outside of the uh, party performer world, they don't quite understand that, the parties that you're worried you're going to die at. Yeah. Because it's always like, and I'm so sorry, listeners, because you'll hear that and you're like, oh, Athena, like we're going to see on a newspaper soon. But you think about you're hiring a dancer for, you know, grandma's 90th birthday party you might just want to have it at your house because grandma's already at her house. And so then you get invited to a stranger's house on, you know, probably a nicer part of town. You're like, okay, you know, but if you've ever done a singing telegram or something else like that, it's not too different, but it's just different if you've done like ballroom for 10 years, because you would never go to another person's house to perform. It would only be a stage. Right. We're supposed to party. That's our job. Right. And in some areas a belly dancer's whole purpose of being present is to get people up on their feet dancing and having a good time and um like sometimes i think people misunderstand the purpose and in my mind that's the identity that i go with when i do perform at parties and such like it's my job to get you up your feet get you up and dancing with me having a good time and if everybody's laughing and smiling and on the dance floor I did my job yeah I and I think humans crave connection and dance gives us an opportunity and especially dance forms like belly dance that aren't like ballet that has that intense you know this must be done this way we only do this on stage it's a really sweet and special time to get to be a part of that Right. And that, that leads me back to the holistic aspect again, 
because I feel like a lot of times in our culture, like white Western culture, um, your white bread cracker culture, we are taught to not relate back to our bodies. Like we have very poor proximal senses. We don't know where our arms and legs are. So we walk around like a linebacker who's going to fall over like a newborn deer at the drop of a hat. Um, Our spatial recognition is just completely foobar. And we don't know how to relate to people around us with body language like at all. No, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think there's also a thing that's important about dance is to set where your body is today. You know, if you haven't slept very well, if you haven't had a ton of water, you're not going to be as flexible. And so you're going to adjust your, your movement. But if you haven't maybe sat in time where you had to sit with your body and be like, oh, why? Why is everything cranky today? Like, what's happening? Oh, here are the reasons. Here's Here's the thing I can control. Sometimes it's just hot, and so your joints just don't like it. But I think sometimes in the Western culture, we just think our bodies are these robots and not these these really special things that need need care. I guess like a Ferrari, not like a robot then. Well, a Ferrari. Yes. Sure, yeah. we'll say that. I can't afford a Ferrari, but... Well, if you ever think about how expensive like a a kidney is, you know. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Well, and my whole, like, purpose with tying in belly dance with my Holistic Health podcast is because I feel like so many people rush into health food stores and they're still just looking for that pill. Mm Mm-hmm. And they aren't paying attention to their body and their movements and things that don't require swallowing some magical sounding elixir, but they should take some time to just get in touch with their own body and their own body's movements. And I know for me, belly dance was a huge game changer. Mm -hmm. Like I found that um, suddenly, you know, I might be standing in line and, you know, my legs are, are going numb, right? Let's, my favorite example is standing in line at the bathroom at a Reds game or any professional or college sports game because you are not getting in there. Yeah, you're not. And y- your legs are falling asleep and you're shifting back and forth. And so now I use that as an opportunity to just shimmy. Yeah, you're already uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Right. And so it's like, okay, I need to get some movement to move my muscles around so that I don't seize up and fall over. But yet at the same time, it's an opportunity to practice that posture and everything that goes with it. I know a lot of people think I am absolutely nuts when I do it, but that's okay because I'm fun. <laughs> and I think no one worries about of anyone else as much as we worry about ourselves. You know, I have definitely changed in a car while you know at a red light, and no one noticed, and no police officer can find me if they tried. The statute of limitations has assuredly passed. Don't worry, 
But, you know, no one's worried about that as much as you are. Correct. Correct. And I know um, when people come to my classes, they get very concerned on whether or not I am going to push them to perform. Do they do that for you also? Yeah, I have. That's why I have two classes. So my sixth, third, like my earlier class is you will never perform in this class. I will not teach you choreography. We're going to go through technique. And so people have, and then um, the next class is my performance class. And that's considered a more advanced set of stuff because you have to be committed to come every week. Um, and also because I have some, I have a couple of students who wear hijab. Um, mm -hmm. and they're a little bit more conservative of center, we'd say. They're just, their religious expression requires, you know, covering their hair. Um, right. They would perform in public. And so having the opportunity that they are never going to get pressured, it's never going to be a question, um, but they get to listen to music that is right for them. I spent way more time than I want to admit looking for new music. And so people are like, how did you find that song? Like that just came out like two weeks ago. And it's like, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry. <laughs> um, and so that's, a, that's how I go for it. How do you do it in your classes? Um, I, I usually start with, hey, here's the deal. You can do just the movement portion where we just go through the movements. And then at the end, we have just, you know, like little free dance, like, you know, let's just dance how we want to dance. Don't look at anybody else. Just pay attention to yourself. I just ask that you don't run into each other, you know, that kind of thing. And then I'll tell them, I'm like, if you ever feel like you might want to move on and perform, you can hang out for the next class. <laughs> and then even then I will tell them, I'm going to teach you a choreography. And if you don't want to perform it, that's cool. You don't have to, but I do need to know so that I get a head count for an event, you know, yeah. other than that, I'm like, you don't have to ever perform. You don't have to ever do this anywhere, but here you can do it at home in your bedroom where nobody's watching. You know, truthfully, I don't care. I just want you to move and have fun. Enjoy yourself moving and utilizing your muscles. Exactly. And honestly, some of the best dancers I've ever seen will never perform in public. I remember I got hired for this gig and this like person approached me and she's like, come to my house later. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And she showed me like the moves that her family did. Um, she showed me what was correct for her area in the world. And she showed me things that, you know, that she would never teach. And it, and I still use those movements to this day. And she's the most beautiful dancer I've ever seen, but she's just not going to do it in public. And that's her right. I mean, and I still am giving honor to that, to that day, that afternoon where she made me a bunch of mint tea and then made me dance, which was a hard mix. Cause then you have to pee, but that's, you know, my problem, not hers. <laughs> Yes. She set me up for failure. No, she was fine. But it was very sweet. But well, that's wonderful though, because then you also get like a really beautiful moment of sharing intercultural exchange. Yeah. I mean, so I, well, I think that's the thing about like dancing is like it is a pure communal thing. It's not especially this form of dance. And there's a lot of this that just sometimes getting sweaty in a room full of people that treat you nicely is the greatest thing that you need. Like, 
I'm a person who deeply believes in therapy. I deeply believe in taking of mental health. But sometimes I just need to like shake my booty until I've lost it, you know, or put my like put my body into the care of a good teacher who will direct me through movement. And I don't have to think for like five minutes of my life. And there's something really transformative about those spaces that you just get to be yourself. And I'm sorry, that was my cat screaming at me for an unknown reason. It's okay. Ira can scream at you. Every day. Yeah, Mama never does. It's only Ira who screams at me. Yes. Well, usually Clyde will come scream at me too, but he is hiding from Millard at the moment. Oh my goodness. The animal drama we have in our houses. And Bonnie was so mad when I brought Millard home, she didn't come out of the closet for three days. Like she was just pissed. But um, (laughs) yeah, that took a good two weeks. And now she finally comes out every once in a while. And then she just smacks Millard upside the head and keeps walking. I don't know. (laughs) They're worse than my children. (laughs) Established dominance. You got to do it early. They're following prison rules in your house. Apparently. Apparently. So with belly dancing, I, I, I want to stress because sometimes I feel that there are many, many people who feel the need to share their opinion of what a belly dancer's body should look like. Yes. At which time I tell them they obviously have no idea because they come in every size, shape, color, and flavor imaginable. But, you know, they'll argue with me. (laughs) So how do you address that type of situation? Honestly, they just get blocked. I have feeds set up on my Instagram so for our listeners, I love social media. I have a problem with it. I, like, I spend too much time online. I'm chronically online. So I have an Instagram, a TikTok, a Facebook, and, the, you know, I'm on, I'm on YouTube because you can kind of get it monetized, kind of not. But I, I have a list of things that are blocked. So, I mean, it's – and you, I'm not going to go through it because it's probably very triggering for people who've had online, you know, hate. Yeah, yeah, we don't need exact details. Just yeah, know there so are. Stuff that I'm not going to do. Someone sends me too much. You're right on the block list because at that point, anyone who's giving you unsolicited advice, and I think any, and I'm a person who believes any unsolicited suggestion comes off as criticism. So, have you thought about doing this? No, but you can. Like, you can do that right to hell. I don't care. Sorry, I cursed, but um, no, you're fine. We've gotten deep enough in, but it's just not a thing I'm interested in because you can't negotiate with people who are just trying to take away your power. Um, and there are people who have the energy for that, and I'm so happy for them, but not my vibe. I don't care. They can just go right off to whatever cave they live in um, and just be a bat. I don't care. Oh, I but, wish this was all just online. I, I have people in person who like to let me know that they're like, you know, maybe you should retire from belly dance because there are younger, smaller girls who do that. I said, then that's great. And I would love to dance with them. Yeah. I feel like people have a real audacity. So in person, so one, I hate the like, you must be so brave. Um, like, you must be so brave to be doing this. I was like, I'm not brave. I'm vain. 
let's be clear here. This is not a question. Um, and I feel like, especially as my body has changed a lot, you know, the pandemic impacted it, being an adult, living in a world, stress, you know, everything that, do, that impacts a, a body that does what it does. Um, people have always asked me a lot of those types of questions. I'm sort of like, is this your business? Like, you know, why are you so concerned? I'm a, maybe a little bit aggressive because I just, I don't consider it anyone's business to be worrying about what I'm doing. Um, I usually ask people, you know, if you have a body that you're comfortable in and you're strong, then you should make that body dance. Yeah. It's not your and pick a dance, any dance. Yeah. Pick a thing to enjoy. So uh, a thing that's pretty instrumental in my life is sort of the intuitive eating model. And mm -hmm. one thing we talk about is that you do have to be physical in some way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's just, you You know, go outside, go hiking, do mindfulness hikes, run with your dogs. Like, experiencing your body and supporting your body in all ways does require movement. It doesn't require that you have to learn how to, like, lift a car or, you know, be under 120 pounds. But it does require moving. Like you were saying, if you don't move it, you lose it. Like, we need mm -hmm. these, these bodies. You know, we need these things to exist still. So, but I'm not right. concerned. Anyone who's going to give me that kind of opinion can just kind of go away. Uh, <laughs> like, super not my problem. And, and and I'll be aggressive about it, too. I did once ask, like, if someone asked me, like, oh, you're so brave. I was like, then I can have, can I have money? And no one will like when you ask asking for money. It's like, yeah, I'll take $50 for bravery. Wouldn't that be sweet if people paid you to be brave? Because, like, yeah, yeah. Some I'll, I'll, when we're not recording for this podcast, I'll tell you about my secondary podcast that I'm I'm working on, and that one, yeah, that is a no holds bar one. That, <laughs> oh my, God. yeah, the that's where, where the, yeah, but that one would not be monetized. I understand. <laughs> no, I can monetize that one as well. There are ways. There are ways in the monetization world. Okay. So just full disclosure to people who listen to me. Podcasts get monetized. This is where I'm going to throw it out here that I need subscribers and supporters. Podcasts get monetized in two ways. One they have to have subscribers. That means that you are saying when you hit subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcast, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, whatever the hell you're listening to it on. When you hit subscribe, that means that that carrier says, oh, okay, this person, they're going to listen to you right? So you have to have a certain base number of subscribers. Then the next thing that you have to have are people actually listening. Mm. And you have to have a certain number of people that listen to the entire podcast, or it's like 75% of each podcast. And you have to have the target number of subscribers. And at one point in time, Anchor was the company that owned 
the podcast platform that I use. And then it was bought out by Spotify. So I was monetized and then Spotify bought them out and the TOS, the terms of service changed. Not good, not bad. It's whatever. It just is what it is. So now currently at the time of recording this, I am not monetized because I am shy on the number of subscribers. So just so people know, that is why I always throw in my website, my social medias, how to find me. And then I also throw in that of anyone who I have on as a guest, because even if we're not getting a kickback from the platform where you are listening, I want to be able to know that I'm getting some sort of passive advertising for me or for you or for whomever, because somewhere, somehow this sucker's paying off. It will. Yeah. So that's where I'm at right now. So this is where I tell people, go ahead, hit subscribe and hit like. And where the little thing says discussion, submit questions and comments because I will answer. Depending on I will the entertain. <laughs> Do what? Depends on how I what the question is will depend on what podcast it right. are. Exactly. Exactly. And there, there will be a secondary podcast coming out. I'm lining up guests and dates. That's going to um, directly address just everyday things that females in the United States go through. That's Anyone who identifies as female and, and presents themselves as female, the kind of just everyday experiences. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot that's very unique to womanhood, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. So that that will be the secondary one, but I'm working on the guest list and the topic lineup. So it's coming. But yeah, that so if good. yes. So if you guys are listening and you like this podcast, you found this podcast, maybe you're a fan of Athena's and that's why you came to visit me, please, by all means, go ahead and subscribe. I have lots and lots and lots of different topics that address, you know, just people in a holistic form. And that was one of the reasons why I was like, Athena, come chit chat with me on Holistic Badass, because there is more to being holistic than doing a little bit of yoga and chanting and eating your sprouts and shoving some herbal capsules in your face. Yes, because herbal capsules will definitely change your life. It'll do well, Depending on what you're using them for. Yeah. Marvel mystery oil, just the ones that you just says health things, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and I... My whole holistic health journey started with a multi-level marketing company that made herbal supplements, but I'll be dibbly dipped. The stuff worked the way it was intended, which totally threw me for a loop because prior to that, my only experience with that kind of thing was an aunt of mine who had done a carrot juice cleanse and had accidentally turned herself orange. Well, if you have enough beta carotene, um, you will get an orange cast to your skin. It's a lot. It's a lot. You have to have a lot of it, but it does happen. And back in the day, there used to be a natural tanning supplement um, 
that was vitamin E and beta carotene packed together. And when you used it, you looked like you had a tan. I was just wondering. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was temporary. Obviously, it wore off as your body metabolized it. But yeah, I mean, so the, there's there's things. But that that was my original um, experiences with any type of supplement therapies was my aunt who turned herself orange by accident. I mean, that's a lot of snickering and stuff like that. But now, you know, I understand why. And I'm like, oh, well... Is that really that crazy? No, that's not that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe people Yeah, maybe people may have wanted that desired outcome. So, you know, as long as you know what you're doing and you're following your desired outcome. But my main thing for you was I want people to realize that movement is necessary. Yes. You have to get up and you have to move it. And when I started belly dance, it was because of lower back immobility and, you know, um, just keeping my spine loosened up and trying to strengthen my core. And belly dance offers a lot of that. Yes. I think. Yeah. No, no. You first. Well, and there's a lot about this dance form and the fact that it is improvisational that is really good for your brain, too. We've been talking so much about the physicality of your body, but there's parts of it that if you've been through trauma or you've done through something stressful, your body's going to be full of adrenaline or lactic acid, something in there. It's going to be filled with, I can't remember the exact one. I'm not a doctor. See a doctor for any of the actual proof to any of this. But your body's going to be full of all these kind of fight or flight hormones. And sometimes the act of moving is just great for your mental health because it's going to reduce anxiety. It's going to reduce that associative stress, too. So we've talked so much about, well, it keeps your, your everything together. But improvisational dance will keep you young, your brain younger longer because it uses different neural pathways. And it helps with some of that anxiety and stress. So that can be your free therapy. I don't know about you. I mean, go to a therapist, of course. But... I have cried while dancing, while processing through some really serious changes in my life. It was the most beautiful dance I've ever created. Yeah. There's so much to it that I think is really, and I can tell you all the signs, but I can also just tell you, you know, as I'm processing through really bad breakups, I'm just repeating the same movement. And every time it gets deeper into my body, into my soul, and it heals me in a way that I don't think any amount of talking ever is going to work. Exactly. And then when I was in high school, I worked in a nursing home. And um, the, the, when you were talking about neuropathways, I worked with a lot of uh, elderly people who lived there that were experiencing dementia and Alzheimer's. And there's so much research in how anytime you move your feet and your hands at the same time, anytime that you move the right side and the left side of your body at the same time, anytime that you learn a new dance pattern, anytime that you dance with someone, it stimulates all those little nerve pathways to have one side of your brain work with the other side of your brain. And the more of those pathways you have, the less 
memory and cognitive issues you have when you get older. Exactly. Which is a really, we're, you know, if I'm going to advertise for anything, I would always advertise dance because it really has these really important, both physical and mental health. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And it, it, yeah, herbs are fantastic. I love them. They're my jam because plants over people. Yay. But, um, isn't it cool that we can get some of that without falling back on a, a huge biochemical process of digestion? Yeah. We can just cut to the chase and do a little dance. Well, you're waiting for something to maybe work through the rest of yourself and everything else that needs to happen. You know, give yes. yourself a five minute dance time. And exactly. You're not on camera. You're not on TV. You're allowed to just do some goofy, weird dances. My dog has gotten the worst shows of his life, but they were what I needed to do at that point in time. And, and sometimes what you need is to allow every soul, every every cell of your body, every fiber of your being to be felt in order to process and move that emotion along because it's you've allowed it to run its course and serve its purpose in every way possible, okay? And now it needs to go. Yeah. Your body is an incredible thing that's trying to heal itself often, and you have to let it do what it needs to. Yeah. And dance is one way to do that. And and just a little thing out there, y'all don't have to do belly dance. You don't have to do that particular form. You could just do Zumba if you want. You could do tap dance. You can do jazz. You can do ballroom. You can do um, Im- improvisational. I am going to butcher this. What is the one where it's... um. Oh, it's like an improv dance and they're wearing just like black leotards. Interpretive dance. Okay. Oh, yeah. Interpretive dance. There's modern. Um, anything you can just be in a room with people or by yourself and get to experience. There's just a lot, a lot of good in there. And community, which is, you know, nice for us mammals. Right. And that is something that belly dance has a lockdown on, I feel like. Yeah. And you have community building events. Uh, they are what, like three to four times a year? Yeah. Yep. We're trying to do quarterly, but I keep on forgetting how frequent quarters are. So they're when they show up. We'll say quarterly with the intention of more quarterly in the future. I always need like a month break after an event, and then you have to like ramp up the next one. So it's realistically more every four months. Which I guess is still quarterly, right? Like I said, math is not my skill set. The next one's in December or November. What that would be trimesterly, wouldn't it? Like try something like that. Yes. Right. I always think of semester as pregnancies, but I don't want to say that because that will mess with people. Yes. But yeah, I, I just I wanted to highlight the fact that belly dance has many, many holistic benefits and all dance has benefits. Um, But belly dance sometimes I feel gets the uh, short end of the stick on the respect scale. 
Yeah. I think it's, I think some of it is racism, you know, big old, any, because I mean, I remember 9-11 and everything that came after that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also parts of it where because it's a party dance and it's more of a social thing, people sometimes don't treat it as that. And I also think, and this is where I'm going to call out dancers sometimes, is we don't treat ourselves as artists. Like, I get grant funding from my city to help support my art um, because I believe what I'm doing is truly art. But I think sometimes we just, we put it down to, oh, I'm just doing this, I'm just doing that. And I think that's a real thing to, and this is just being, if you are a dancer who's listened to us, you know, me talk about this for an hour already, it's not used just for your stuff. You are an artist, you are a person who is creating improvisational moments. And something really special. There's no just in art. They're just Picasso. They aren't just, you know, um, Dali. Like, they are many things. And I think we got to start treating ourselves like that, too. Well, and I think that that tends to be a female thing. Yep. Um, or a feminine characteristic, I should say. Because I see that in um, vendors at uh, farmer's markets and... Um, event marketing and stuff like that yeah those people who have more feminine characteristics they will say oh that i i just do this for fun well no honey you got it for sale on a table in front of you if you were just doing it for fun you would pass it out at trick-or-treat you know um by putting it out on a table, you are now engaging in capitalism and therefore you are engaging in an economic activity. If you are hoping to make a few bucks off of it, guess what? It is now a business. Whether or not you are profitable at it, that's your problem. Yeah. But, you know, don't downplay your efforts and your skills. Even if you're just beginning, you can say, I am learning, but this is where I'm at right now. And I think as far as dancers and performers, you can say, I am learning and I am working. I am not where I was yesterday, but I still have some ways to go where I was, well, I want to be tomorrow. But today I can celebrate right here where I'm at and I would like to share with you what I can create. Exactly. And that is part of art. I'm learning watercolor. I'm the worst watercolor person in the world, but it's just fun too to make art. Right. And right. And art. it stimulates so many parts of your brain. And I, I feel, I think everyone in their life has met that person who's never been allowed or has never allowed themselves the opportunity to enjoy their creation. Yes. And they are not happy people. No, they're the ones that ask you, how, do you think, it, have you ever thought about retiring from belly dance? And we just ignore them. Right. Now, I, I like, I don't talk about it a lot, but sometimes I will go work with some Amish families for herbs and stuff like that. And I go and do consultations and such for them. And there was a lady, she was Amish, and she was in a wheelchair due to uh, a genetic um, a genetic developmental issue that she had. Um, she didn't have downs or anything like that. So cognitively, she was very good, but she had very limited mobility from this. And 
anyone who actually knows the Amish communities knows that they are acutely aware of genetic issues that result from small communities and possible inbreeding that happens. But they are also very industrious people and they all are very much stressed. You got to find your thing. You got to find your niche. You got you to gotta find that thing that you can do that is industrious, that you can take a little bit of pride in and put your spin on it. And this lady, she, she had a great sense of humor. And of course, sometimes I would go early and they were always amazed that I knew how to can peaches because once in a while I would just sit down and help them can peaches or can tomatoes and talk recipes and cooking with them, which always kind of threw them like, I don't know, apparently I'm not Amish. I don't know how to cook. But But, yeah, so she, in her spare time, since she was wheelchair bound, she would make handmade greeting cards. And they were beautiful. And she would do all of this freehand lettering with the gorgeous calligraphy. And then she would paint them with watercolor pens and add glitter and lace. And they were absolutely beautiful. So I started buying them from her for uh, wedding cards and such. But that was something that she was able to create and that she could share with people and use as a means to support herself. So and to me, dancing in public is no different than that. Yeah. It's all the expression of our creativity. Some of us want to be paid, some of us don't, and but it doesn't change our art history or what, what our intentions are or our skills. There's a lot of dancers getting paid that aren't that good, and there's a lot of ones who aren't, aren't that are incredible, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And God didn't bless me with a good singing voice, so guess what? Hey, you get the hips. Your hips are the ones that's singing. That's, that's right. Hips don't lie, you know? <laughs> yes, because I am a child of Shakira. <laughs> we did more to make belly dance popular than like any of us ever could, you know? Exactly. I and it's what twenty some years later, and I still have people say, "Can can you help me do that Shakira thing?" I'm like, "Yep, yeah, let's go." Yeah, I still use hips don't lie for my demonstrations every time because people love it. Yes, yes, and it it is. Um, definitely the song that most people are aware of yeah they are all right so tell me a little bit more about the intuitive eating that you mentioned so intuitive eating is the concept that your body knows what you need to do to survive and it knows what it needs to um so it's following the methodology that there is and it's like it's not an anti-diet culture idea, but it would be pretty close to it. So it's the idea that you're going to trust your body to make, hold please, my dog is barking at something. It's very bad. Of course, as soon as I go to go greet him, he stops. Thank you. So it's the idea that you're, hey, buddy, hey, that was a lot of sound. I appreciate you warning me that your bowl's empty, but you're not going to get fed yet. Thank you. Anyways, I'm gentle parenting the dog. Um, so it's the idea that your body knows what it needs at points in time. And so the most kind of radical concept is that it was very intentional about you need to eat at certain, you know, 
feel hunger, what level do you want to, when you're at a four out of 10, is that time for you to eat? Or do you wait till you're starving? And then that's the, you're like, okay, I'm just going to go to Wendy's because I'm just starving. I can't think I'm grouchy. I'm, you know, about to pass out. And so figuring out where in yourself the right, where do you want to eat when you're hungry? Is it because you're bored or you're tired or you need just, you know, sometimes a good bowl of soup is what you need because you just want comfort too. And right. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to want comfort. Humans deserve comfort. Um, And so that's really been pretty instrumental in how do I approach things? Because I've gone through an era where I treated my body badly by following fad diets or believing it was more valuable if it was smaller or believing a lot of things. But by treating myself gently and treating myself kindly and say, yeah, tonight, it's going to be a night that you need to eat cake for dinner and you're eating food. And we're really proud of that. And tomorrow you might decide that you actually want a salad because it's crisp outside or this or that. That's okay. But there's nothing wrong with any food. Um, So it's a pretty, a pretty sweet process and it treats, it just treats your body with kindness and dignity. And I think diet culture doesn't want to give ourselves dignity. It just wants to treat ourselves like if we are, not actively trying to lose weight or actively trying to do something different with the bodies that we have. It's just not, we're not disciplined or this or not. And that's not, not the way that I want to continue living my life. Oh yes. Like the, the wonderful keyboard commandos who want to equal the um, calories in calories out equals calories in. And you have to make that one greater in order to lose weight and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, um, the day you live in my body is the day you get to tell me how to do that. And there's also, like, the people who are doing that aren't enjoying the, like, glory. I'm a big fan of, you know, this is tomato season. I've eaten probably four pounds of tomatoes today. That's great. Um, but it's like, I can't live off of chicken and rice for the rest of my life. I want to enjoy food. I made dandelion wine this year. It was not good, but I tried. Um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> But, you know, to enjoy what's outside or I made this or I canned this or I make my own kombucha and I learn if I'm if I'm good at it or not. But really just treating yourself with that kindness and taking care of our bodies, because there's a lot of, you know, you know, eat that berries because berries taste good, not because they could potentially help you live forever. Eat things because they taste good and they feel good and they make you happy. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the entire idea. And I eat a and so it was a little bit tough at the beginning because anytime you approach, for me, um, anytime I approach changing my diet, I get very worried that I'm going to go into some sort of borderline disordered eating um, of, oh, is this, am I allowed to eat this? Because anytime we start to treat food, you know, like it might be bad, it gets a little, a little weird, but this has been a lot kinder of a process and a lot more fun because... I don't feel like I need to punish myself for eating what we say are bad foods, but also not do, you know, I live on the internet and you see a lot of very sad people having a lot of really sad meals. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. So a friend of mine is a chef at like a five-star restaurant in Buffalo and he um, dragged us all into this group called you can't throw anything on a plate and say it is food <laughs> and, and, and it's 
it's it's very it's it's scary it's scary people don't just don't eat that back away back away from the ugly food but yes yes and that sounds like the way that people should be eating unfortunately that means we have to pay attention to ourselves and it's kind of cool the way belly dance and in, and intuitive eating kind of work together because one makes you pay attention to your body mm -hmm. and the other lets you use that feedback from paying attention to your body to, you know, survive. Yeah, and I think there is a real, both of them have a little bit of a mindfulness component to it because if you're, if you have to listen to a very quiet part of your body saying, hey, today is the right day for this or that, um, and belly dance is often a very quiet need of like, hey, you know, we want you to, your body maybe wants more sinuous movements, more snaky movements, because your back hurts and your, your, your psoas is acting up. So you're having to learn to listen to these really quiet things, but they get louder. Like when my body wants to, you know, do a bunch of circles, it will tell me now. Yay. If everything's tough and I just want to shake my booty, that's the right day. It's tough for my students when it's a shimmy day, I will say, but they survive because they're brave. Well, and I, I, I had someone who was dancing with a group that Mandy and I were leading and she danced with us for five years and we were working on a choreography and because we, we do use choreographies are just easier with pre-recorded music, you know, because you can listen to it over and over and over again and drill and all of a sudden, one day afterwards, we were having our usual, like, sit down and let's set, share a supper session. And she said, this is all great, but, like, when am I going to, like, be able to dance? And we were like, what the hell have you been doing? Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, no, like, really, like, I want to just be able to go dance. And we're, we told her, we're, you know, I told her, I said, we're teaching you things that are options to dance to certain types of music or in certain situations. And you now have muscle memory. Now you need to put your ears in there and see what your body wants to do to respond to that. Yeah. And that just, the, the, her brain was just, her mind was blown. Classrooms are the space where you learn, like I always say, you learn the words, you learn grammar, you learn all, that is where, that's where classrooms are. But if you want to write your story, like you have to do that on your own. You know, our choreographies are me teaching you kind of how I respond to the music and you can maybe do something similar. You might hear something different, but you know, it's, but it's not a known thing amongst dancers. Like, even when I did ballet, we all joked that none of us could, like, go out and dance in, like, anywhere else. Because you've gotten so used to your spaces and how you like to do stuff. I met, and, like, I've known hip-hop dancers who are like, oh, no, like, I don't dance out and, you know, like, I don't do anything I do in my hip-hop routines. I just shake my butt step side to side, you know. Right. At a club versus on a stage. I, I, yeah, and I, that's unfortunate, but yet at the same time, you know, that's okay. It's all good. Yeah, no one's paying attention to you at the club. Like, they're paying attention themselves because they're worried. Are they dancing funny? 
And the most fun you'll have is if you're just going to have a good time, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't. But it's that's a really interesting issue for a student to have because I, I worry about that as a teacher. Like, am I making people, am, are my students able to be themselves in their own performances and they aren't just going to be like me? Because there's only one me, there's only one of my students, there's only one of these things. But Right. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you talking with me tonight about belly dance and I hope that my listeners and your listeners that have come over that maybe they've learned a little bit of something maybe they won't be afraid to take a belly dance class whether it's from me or you or wherever you are you can find belly dance classes just about anywhere if you google belly dance near me but how do people find you um, so you can find me at Athena Shimmy, and that's on Instagram and TikTok, um, and then just Athena Howe on Facebook. And, and that's H-O-W-E. Like, how are you doing today with an E on the end? Yes. Okay. And do you teach strictly in person, or do you ever do online classes? I've done online classes. Most of my online classes right now are private lessons. Um, I have a few students. So kind of, and this is a very funny thing. I have students all the way in Germany right now, online classes, because the American cabaret style of belly dance, which is so common here, is not common in Europe, obviously. And so there's a lot of people who are wanting to learn it now because they like that kind of more free form, which I thought was very funny. Um, but so I teach mostly in person now. Um, I teach at the Columbus Parks and Rec Department. Um, here in my city, but I also do teach private lessons online, and I might start up an online series, but pr frankly, not for a minute. I'm just, I just like teaching in person. It's nice to have the energy in the room. I have to be honest. I the feedback is much easier to discern and interpret yeah. when it's in person. I agree with that. Yeah, that that because every once in a while, you know, we'll run into because I teach in person on Monday and Wednesday evenings and I currently am homeless went for uh, a location because, oh, you know, COVID and studio rental and blah, 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 blah. Just a big mix of stuff. So anyways, um, I am currently teaching out of a friend's basement on Wednesday nights. And on Monday nights, I teach out of what used to be my dining room. Ah, so intimate, intimate uh, classroom opportunities then. Small settings. <laughs> But yeah, and so once in a while, you know, something will happen with a, um, with just the timing that nobody can quite make it. And they'll be like, can you record it? Well, yeah, sure. I can record it and I'll send it out in like a YouTube private link. And I know I have noticed that some people never click on it and they yep. just say, oh, I just can't. That's yeah, a real hard thing about teaching online, honestly, is like, I can see who watches and it's just, it's a tough thing where you're like, but you paid all this money for this. What are you doing? Like, right, right. But, right. you know, as long as they're watching, I feel like even if they're not actively up and participating, it kind of plants that idea in the back of their brain. So yeah. there's always that. 
All right. Well, friend, it's nice chatting with you. I hope you Yes, and thank you. And hopefully everybody gets out there. Look up Athena. Look up Athena Shimmy or Athena Howe. Look up Columbus Belly Dance. That is one of the terms that you will find her under. And we love Athena. And hopefully you guys got a little bit of something. And like I said, go out there. Find a class. Learn how to get inside your body move those hips a little bit and let loose physically and emotionally give a little shimmy give a little wiggle party right exactly all right thanks athena have a wonderful night you too bye-bye Hey, Holistic Badasses, now comes the time on the Holistic Badass Podcast where we talk about an herb of the hour. So today, tonight, today, whatever time of day you are listening to this, I want to talk to you about an herb that is near and dear to me called Damiana. I know Damiana doesn't sound like something you want to mess with but let's talk about it so damiana i'm trying to find its uh other names let's do the other names so damiana d-a-m-i-a-n-a other names include damiana aphrodisiaca damiana herb damiana leaf damiane uh Oh, my French is awful. Fuel de Damiana, Fuel de Damienne, Herba de la Pastora, Hox Mexican, Mexican Damiana, Mizibcog, Old Woman's Broom, Oreganillo, Rosemary. That is not rosemary. They're not the same plant, not what you're thinking. Not what I'm thinking, but they're not the same. Uh, the the barique, barique, Turnia aphrodisiaca, Turnia diffusa, Turnia diffusa variation aphrodisiaca. In fact, the most common scientific name that I see listed for it is Turnia diffusa variation aphrodisiaca. Okay? So let's talk about what it is. It's a shrub that grows south of where I am. Mainly Mexico, Central America, West Indies, somewhat into Texas, I believe. The leaf and stem are used to make a medicine. Historically, it was mainly used as an aphrodisiac. So that means it was something to help you get your mojo back, right? It got you in the mood. However, there's some other things that it does as well. Uh, A lot of times it's used to treat headaches, bedwetting, depression, nervous 
stomach constipation. I'm sorry, I should not use the word treat. It was used to deal with headaches, bedwetting, depression, nervous stomach, constipation, and thought to help with the prevention of sexual problems. Not exactly sure what all sexual problems, but boosting and maintaining mental and physical stamina. My best experience with it is that sometimes you can find it at trying to think the best way to term this. You can find it at certain stores and shops that normally sell accessories for the use of a certain green thing, which is being considered uh, medicinal in the state where I live. It's legal for medicinal use if you have a prescription. But a lot of times Damiana is sold in those same stores that are just basically called head shops, right? But it's sold as a mood brightener. A mood brightener. When I was in college, there was something that we could do called undergrad research. And I remember I had hit my my professorial advisor up with the idea that I wanted to test out Damiana's ability to act as a mood brightener. Now, I did not get it approved because he said it would be too difficult with IRB to do it, but that it was a wonderful idea, but I would maybe have to do it on a larger scale. I wanted to see if Damiana was more efficient than a placebo in eliminating feelings of anxiety um, in college students getting ready for finals, right? So that's what I wanted. Um, I did not get the opportunity to do that, but I always thought that that would be an interesting thing to gather data on. So let's talk about uses and effectiveness. So sexual problems was one thing listed. There is some research that suggests taking specific combinations of a product containing Damiana, L-Arginine, American Ginseng, Penex Ginseng, Ginkgo, uh, there's a vitamins and minerals might improve sexual satisfaction, increase orgasm frequency, and reduce vaginal dryness in women with sexual problems who are interested in improving their sex lives. Meh. Useful. Useful info. And I could break down every single one of those ingredients and tell you why that was in there, but we're talking about Damiana. Weight loss. There is some research that suggests that taking a specific combination product that contains Damiana, Guarna, Yerba Mate might reduce body weight in people who are overweight. So that is a good thing to know right there. Uh, It's also listed for headaches, bedwetting, depression, nervous, nervous upset, stomach, constipation, boosting mental and physical stamina, and some other things. It is considered likely 
safe when taken by mouth and in amounts commonly found in foods. It is possibly safe when taken by mouth in medicinal amounts, but there have been some serious side effects, um, convulsions and other symptoms similar to rabies or strychnine poisoning have been reported after taking 200 grams of Damiana extract. Now we're talking 200 grams. Most people are not going to be taking 200 grams. Okay? There are some precautions and warnings for, of course, your pregnant and breastfeeding people. Because there isn't enough reliable information about the safety of using Damiana if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. Stay on the safe side. Don't use it. Um, Damiana might affect blood sugar levels in people with diabetes. So watch for signs of low blood sugar and monitor your blood sugar carefully. If you do have diabetes and you try to use Damiana, please be aware and watch that closer. Um... Also, this is one of those herbs that you want to stop using at least two weeks before any scheduled surgery or outpatient surgical procedures. It seems to have an interference with blood glucose control during and after the surgery. So don't use it if you know you have something like that coming up. Also, because of its ability to kind of tinker with your blood sugar, if you are on prescription medication for blood sugar levels, do not use Damiana. Now, what I like to use it for is its ability to lighten the mood. I mean, obviously it has a lot of stuff a lot of uses that are relating back to sexual dysfunction, blah, blah, blah. But what I have noticed is that people who utilize it tend to become very giggly and they seem to get rid of that heavy, heavy weight on their shoulders. So at one point in time when I was in my 20s, I used to order food in from a food co-op. This was before there was a health food store on every single corner, right? And I would have to order a case of something, but I could give it a try and I would order it in from the Federation of Ohio River Cooperatives and I would get in this fruit punch that had Damiana in it. And I'm not gonna say that I felt drunk, But you know, when you, for those of you who have consumed alcohol, when you just have like that first one to one and a half drinks where you're feeling a little fuzzy and warm and giggly, that is what I would get off of one. The feeling I would just get off of one fruit punch with Damiana in it. So it definitely does help to remove some of the everyday anxiety. Um, It is sold in tea bags and in capsules and in tinctures, uh, some alcoholic tinctures and some alcohol-free. 
while smoking and inhaling damiano leaves is possible it is not advised obviously doing that with anything is going to harm your lungs um people have reported hallucinations at taking 20 grams and above of damiana so a little bit goes a really long way most use is two to four grams right and that's in a tea or in a capsule now think about that two to four grams is what is suggested to use in most supplements and teas but if you use more than 200 grams you could have hallucinations and very ill effects vomiting (laughs) really dude why would you take a hundred times the suggested dose i don't i don't know why anybody would think that would be a good idea but there you go so when they say oh no that's going to kill you always look at that dose always If you're being told to take two to four grams and then suddenly you drop 200 grams, first of all, I'm pretty sure you're going to have to ignore the gut-wrenching jet-propelled vomiting, but that's just way too much, dude. Why would you do that? Um, Just for those who would like to know, Damiana has been sold as an ingredient called quote-unquote spice, and it's present in some herbal mixtures that mimic the effects of camet cannabis um states vary with their laws regarding herbal blends like that but damiana is technically legal everywhere in the united states on its own as a single herb and supplement so there you go it helps to relieve stress and give you that giddy feeling it helps to Turn up the heat in the bedroom a little bit, I guess you could say. It has been used for centuries by indigenous cultures throughout um, Central America as an aphrodisiac and a bladder tonic. And I really feel like it's time that more people appreciated this shrub with yellow flowers so go out there find yourself some damiana and get your giddy on just use it responsibly in small amounts do not take a hundred times more than what is suggested badasses for hanging out through this podcast thank you for listening about belly dance thank you for listening to the little blurb about damiana thank you for allowing a new idea to maybe come across your radar i wanted to share belly dance because it is a tool in my kit in my toolbox that i have used to help myself in a holistic manner to help my body my mind my spirit my soul 
all of it together. My friend Athena obviously has her life invested in it. I wanted to share that with you. And you don't have to belly dance. You can do any kind of dance. You could do the bachata, salsa, ballet, tap, jazz. I don't care whatever kind it is that you do. Hell, you could be square dancing a farmer's daughter and roll that dude next to you like a wheelbarrow. Whatever works for you. But I do belly dance and I wanted to share the benefits that I get from it. So in the comments to this podcast or on the social channels where you are in touch with me, leave me a form of dance or kind of body movement that you use that helps you on the the same levels, helping out your body, your mind, your soul, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Tell me what you do that fits that bill. I want to know. Hopefully you can reach out to Athena at the very least. Follow her on YouTube and on Instagram because she's very, very active on the social media platforms. And I know she appreciates each and every one of her followers. You can find more about me at herbchickonline.com. I have also recently incorporated uh, the belly dance chapter of my life, Troop Zephyr, in with Herb Chick Online. To quote my late husband, belly dance and herbs have nothing to do with each other. But I'm thinking maybe after listening to this podcast, you might understand where I'm coming from by incorporating all of these things together. You can find me on all the social media channels under Lori the Herb Chick, except for Instagram where I am the dot herb chick. Highly technical. Come follow me. Facebook, Instagram. I have X, but really does anybody use it unless you're just in a hateful mood and therefore I'm really just not on that platform all of a lot. TikTok, Clapper. I have Triller, but I'm still trying to figure that one out. So just come find me, converse with me, talk to me about what works for you. Because I want to know. Let's share ideas. Let's exchange. That's what it's all about, people. Go out there and be that holistic badass I know you can be.